Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. We are a learning community for people at a career crossroads, ready to rejoin their soul and their role. We have long-form conversations about self-awareness, relationships, tapping into your inner genius, and building sustainable habits. We are led by our questions. We're curious. We're storytellers. And the more we learn, the better we get. And there are people all around us who have done the work. We think they have a lot to say about how we can discern and activate our own purpose. I'm Shelley Prevost. I'm an educational psychologist and the founder of Big Self. And I'm Chad Prevost. I'm a media specialist. I write, research, and produce content across industries. To learn more about how to join the tribe, go to shellyprevost.com slash bigselfsociety. Let's get started. We are so excited to have our friend Hillary Robinson into the uh, studio today, literally in the house. So welcome. We're glad that you're here. Hillary and I just met. And so we're going to talk a little bit about our work together and specifically what she's doing around storytelling. But she, uh, just so you all know, she's a third generation native Las Vegan whose professional career spans a whole bunch of different things. She's worked in government agencies, education, nonprofits. And then after graduating, summa cum laude, hey, for the summa cum laudes, uh, from Brigham, Brigham Young University. And then she earned a master's in ethics and policy studies. Uh, she's published and presented widely on the variety of topics throughout North America. And she's received multiple awards for publications and innovations. Hillary loves helping people recognize how history has shaped their lives and how making and recording your own history shapes the future. Hillary, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Chad and Shelley. I'm thrilled to be here. It is great to have you on. Well, first, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's it like being a third generation from a city that blossomed in the middle of the century in the middle of a desert? You know, we are a pretty rare breed. In fact, my uncle used to have, uh, probably still does on his car, the personalized license plate LV Native, and they're few and far between. <laughs> so it was fascinating and wonderful to grow up surrounded by my dad's side of the family that was all from Las Vegas. My grandfather was born there in 1912. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he actually was a blackjack dealer in the Las Vegas club back in the mob days. I mean, this was early Las Vegas. So I wasn't around then, but I did see a lot, a lot of change of the city blossoming in the desert, that tremendous, tremendous growth that started in the 90s and continued. And a um, fascinating place to live. And really, I loved growing up there. But as I matured and grew and had children of my own, the environment had changed enough, but I wasn't sure I wanted to raise my kids there. And um, we have moved to Tennessee two and a half years ago and thrilled to be here Love the greenery. It's a huge change from the desert, as you can imagine. Oh, yeah. So tell me again what brought you all here to Chattanooga. Was it kind of the we need a new place and picked pick this city? Partially, yes. The shortest answer really is inspiration, Shelley. Yeah. So we had left Las Vegas itself and moved out to the country, which is really the desert in southern Nevada. We'd moved an hour outside of, of Las Vegas. So our kids had been raised. Um, they still say they're from Vegas because... That's cool, that's number cool one. to say that. And they were in Las Vegas all the time. Honestly, that's where we had to go to go grocery shopping or go out to dinner. We were in a very small town. Um, and both their grandparents are in Las Vegas. And so they were there all the time. But they had this sort of um, 
wide open country experience growing up, mm. open acreage and um, horses and cows, you know, right around us and whatnot. And so they had a safe, good environment for sure there growing up. And we actually built our dream home there and never planned to leave. We thought we were there forever. Wow. This was the house our grandkids were going to come to. We we're going to divide up the property. The kids were going to build on it. Right? Compound. We're compound. Yes. And that was my kids' ideas. I and I was that. like, yes, I'm totally in. I'm in. I'm in. Now, it could have changed by the time they actually got to that right. age. But that was their plan. And I was very supportive of it. But over time, we started feeling like God had other plans for our family, which was a surprise, not what we envisioned. But we tried to listen and sort of let that feeling grow within us. And as we prayed and thought about it, we realized we needed to put our home up for sale, um, but still did not know the plan. Wow. So we did, and it, it took a while to sell, which we anticipated it would. We did not build it for resale. We, we built it to be there forever. And so it was a pretty mm -hmm. custom um, home and experience with the property and everything. So it did take a while. And during that time, we continued to seek out what the plan was for our family. And yes, research as well mm -hmm. as reliance on inspiration. And um, Tennessee met a lot of the criteria that we wanted for our Checked family. Checked a lot of boxes. Future. It did. Yeah. It did. And so when we um, finally accepted an offer on our home. That day I booked tickets to come check out Tennessee. We were, we were feeling like Tennessee and we'd never even been here, never even stepped foot in the state. state. So mm. we flew out with our kids and checked it out. We flew into and out of Memphis, believe it or not. Now oh, wow. people tease us. They say, yeah. why'd you come to, well, we didn't know Tennessee. We yeah. Just, Where do you go? So the cheapest, flight, cheapest flight was to Memphis. So that's what I booked. And, um, but we rented a car and checked, checked out, um, some Nashville suburbs and Chattanooga. And we were, working on building our own business at the time. And so the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial scene and the startup scene in Chattanooga was very interesting to us. We met with a lot of folks at um, co-starters and they were very welcoming and supportive. And everybody said, oh, if you're considering coming here, you need to check out Signal Mountain. And so we said, what's Signal Mountain? And drove up. And anyway, there, was, yeah. there were a lot of, um, what people call them sometimes, um, God moments or things that that we felt like brought us here. And that led you are. here. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, uh, we're going to talk about your work uh, with around storytelling and personal narrative and empowering uh, women specifically with that. But I'm curious how, I don't know that I know the story, like how you got from ethics and policy studies into this work. Like talk about that journey a little bit. Sure. So ethics and policy studies can be... Um, to some degree, broadly defined, right? And I actually did my thesis work around engaging young people in democracy and their, you know, the importance of youth taking a role and participating in government and, and building that from a, a young age. And so some of my roles in, in business and nonprofits engaged young people and, and tied to that. But really, it was, I guess, a, a pivot or a shift to get into memory making and memory keeping and all of that that was sparked by um, a couple that I knew that um, were in our town. And they came to me one time and said, I know you must be a good writer because you have a master's. And if you have a master's, right, you've gone through a thesis experience. And, and he said, we're trying to write my wife's life story, and we want you to help us. So it all started there. It did. That's exactly where it started. 
So I thought about it. I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm busy, but these are wonderful people that I admired a lot and looked up to and thought, well, that would be really cool to learn more about their life and have the opportunity to work with them. And so that's exactly how it started. Now, in my culture, my family culture growing up, certainly um, journaling and, and telling family stories was always important. So that had been something that, um, you know, I certainly had to some degree a background or, or interest in, but actually working with people to actively record and share stories. That's how it began. Wow. So, so that's, so you, uh, you, you had this moment, this defining, but how did it go with, uh, the, the folks that you wrote their life story for? Did, did you follow through with that project? Absolutely. And they're still just such a blessing in my life. Actually, we, um, just exchanged cards recently and they're of the generation that a letter is better than a phone call. And so <laughs> we have these special letters that we write back and forth. It did. It was a wonderful experience. Um, they had both separately written their life stories and even had typed it up. So they had done a lot of the um, clerical kind of work already, but to be able to review that and edit it and fill in gaps, right? When having a third party that kind of helps you think through, well, there's, there's a gap here for a certain number of years, but I know that one of your daughters was born at that time. Like you, you were not writing at that time. So tell me about that. And let's try and fill in those gaps, for example, um, in addition to the more technical um, editing and copywriting kinds of, of experiences and then actually preparing it for print. But that was a wonderful experience to be able to work with them who were patient and knowing this was my first project of that type. And we were able to find a wonderful printer and print 50 beautiful hardbound heirloom books that are a treasure in their family. And I love the story that you told about the granddaughter. Was this the same couple? This was. This was the same couple. So... Yes. Months after they had given these books to their family, she, Carol was the name of the woman whose story it was, called me and said, oh, I just got a call from my granddaughter. She's been reading my book. And she said, Grandma, I didn't know you went through that too. I'm going through the same thing, and now I know what to do. I have my answer of how to handle it because I read your story, and I know that I can get through it because you did. And that was so powerful yeah. for her and for me. Sure. I mean, what better experience can you have than to have those um, those life-defining moments with someone and yeah. learn from someone? So I feel like I get to live vicariously and learn vicariously through different people in this kind of work. There was another woman later who um, had not written her story, so I was interviewing and capturing her stories, and I asked her, you know, what advice would you have for your children or for any anyone. And she said, and she was the mother of a large family and had many, many grandchildren and great grandchildren. Even at that point, she said, you need to sit down and look your children in the eye when you listen to them. She says, I was always, this was, she raised her kids long before the distractions of technology, right? Oh, wow. But yeah. she said, they'd come home from school and I'd be doing dishes or ironing and I'm listening to them while they're giving their report. But they didn't know I was mm. because I was not looking them in the eye. And she said, if I could tell you one thing, it would be you sit down and you don't put try, it away. Don't multitask. Yeah. And you look them in the eye and you let them know that they have your full undivided attention. Mm. Well, was of course, she meant that as a lesson for her posterity. But boy, have I tried yeah. to take that to heart. I've not forgotten that. In my own yeah. mothering. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay, so you have, that was your first kind of foray into memory making and the work you're doing. Um, 
there's so much here I want to dive into with you. Talk a little bit about your work now and kind of give us some context for what you do, how you do it, um, and why you do it, I think more importantly, with the, with the people and the families that you've, you've been able to help. Absolutely. So for um, a few years, I began to focus on that work that started, as, as we talked about, and really um, you know, led classes and did custom work and interviewing and publishing books. And also started developing digital products. And my husband handles the tech side of things and builds the website and then the digital marketing. And and so we started doing you know ebooks and online memberships and things like that, all within the same vein of um, leaving a legacy through your story and um, the power of of sharing your story with your family. And then slowly it shifted toward um, also recognizing the other side of it the power of making memories, right? So we want to capture and record them, but let's be intentional about making those meaningful memories and experiences with our family as well, which speaks a little bit more to the younger set, right? It's generally older people who are wanting and interested and have the time to reflect and look back and and publish a life story. But there are so many of us um, that relate to this, gosh, we're living life and we're, we're trying to be the best parents we can, but how can we add more meaning to our experiences with our children. And so I really got excited about helping families um, make intentional memories. And so blogging about how to do that um, every day at home or in your travels. And, and we were blessed to be able to do a lot of travel with our children and families as well. So ideas about how to intentional family life, my mind started going, how can we help families be more successful and intentional yeah, you know, uh, there's a, a lot now that we've been learning. There's a lot of research coming out about the power of storytelling, and it's not just for posterity, right? Um, we're learning um, that it's a very powerful method within the family structure right now. I think one of the things you've already pointed out, a takeaway is, 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 is listening, right? Undivided. Man, that's a message we can take. But could you tell us just a little bit about the power of family storytelling itself, just in the middle of doing it? Yes. So it is amazing to learn that not only anecdotally do we see the impact on our children, but there's actually research on how that makes our children stronger. So telling stories, family stories uh, from our own lives, from our children's lives when they were babies, from ancestors' lives, all of that um, has great positive effects on our children. They will have greater resilience when they face challenges, right? We just spoke to a granddaughter who was able to overcome a challenge because she knew her grandmother's story. Um, greater resilience, they will have um, fewer risk behaviors, so they're less likely to go out and do those things that we fear they will, right? Um, and they have a higher self-esteem. They feel connected to that broader um, family network, and so it gives them a grounding when the hard times come, and it gives them a perspective too. So one of the things, I, I like to picture this family chain, and I do believe in the the eternal nature of families. And so right, you know, we're right here in the present, but the chain started way before us in connecting the family generations together, and the chain will continue. We're just one link in that chain. And as our children learn to recognize that, it works two ways. They really get this solid sense of identity about, wow, I'm part of something bigger than myself. And that, that gives me um, substance, right? And, but at the same time, it helps them recognize 
that they are not the center of the universe and the whole world doesn't revolve around them, which we know as teenagers, that's a natural sort of developmental process. But, but sometimes, it, you know, it's helpful to help them move past that stage and recognize it's not all about them. And so it, you get this double, um, it, it's, no, it's not a two-edged sword, it's a two-edged positive, right? That they feel a greater self-esteem, but they also are not the only thing in the world. And that's, that has tremendous implications for their behaviors, for their decisions. It also gives them this perspective as, they, as we share about our own life or ancestors that decisions determine destiny, right? The choices that we make and our children make have implications. We can choose our choice, but we can't choose the consequences. And if they will see that in others' lives, sometimes it will help them make better choices. Mm -hmm. So Hillary and I and Scotty Summerlin, shout out to Scotty. Mm -hmm. We just had an event here two days ago. Yeah, two, Saturday. Yes, two days ago. <clears throat> and we had a group of amazing women that got together to talk about this topic of storytelling and memory making and intentional. I think that's really what we're talking about is intentionality around family. And the idea, there's a couple women that raised the, the question about vulnerability with their children um, and how it can be really difficult to tell their story with their, to their child. And, um, and so I'm wondering um, as they were talking about that in the group, if you ha had thoughts about that and if you could share some, um, I don't know, just some ideas about overcoming that vulnerable, the, the fear of being too vulnerable with your, maybe even with a spouse or with a, certainly a child, because stories can come in all shapes and sizes. And so the idea of like, how do I share? What do I share? What's okay to share? And then it's really uncomfortable to share. And then how can I lean into that a little bit, knowing that this is really important for me to be talking about my story? You know, vulnerability is a tough one and a topic that, you know, can have its own <laughs> whole set of podcasts and meetings and everything else around it. Um, but yeah, it, it was very interesting. That was definitely a hot topic for the women that we gathered with. And I think there's in my mind, as they were talking, I feel like there's a distinction between being vulnerable about um, our feelings and our challenges versus being really specific about um, some things that we're going through right now or, or perhaps that we have gone through. Because I do feel like um, our our kids do not need to know everything, right? There are some things, um, you know, particularly if, it, if we're struggling in our marriage relationship or, I, I mean specifics of it, right? Maybe at some point they need to know that there is a struggle, right? They don't, they don't need to think that life is perfect and easy. Absolutely. They do not. But, um, sharing specifics about, or maybe even some poor choices we made in the past, it's okay for them to know we made poor choices, but depending on what they are, there's a time and a place. And it, you know, when they're children or teenagers it may not be it for them to know the specifics of that because the, the challenge there is, oh, well, you turned out okay, right? And if this is, you know, a risk behavior that we don't want them to engage in, we need to be careful about showing, um, making it into a good example, right? Um, but being vulnerable with that life is hard, life is not easy, right? If we grow up thinking that um, our parents have never, ever, ever argued, we're going to have a really skewed version of what marriage should be like. Um, very skewed. So... But one of the things that I've found... We know nothing about that. 
I'm right. Like, yeah. No, no fighting here. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, we definitely. Um, and we'll just hash it out right in front of the kids, I suppose. I, I don't know. Well, there, there, there's a, a line, right? Right. And, and I don't pretend to be the expert on knowing where that line is. But one thing I have learned is that things that maybe we cannot share from our own life for the reasons I, sh- I just mentioned, or maybe it's still too painful and raw for us. There might be something in a grandmother's story. If we know now we're not all blessed enough to have those, but if we have them, that removes some layers and some levels of closeness that has tremendous power. So I can share how, you know, grandma struggled with, um, you know, someone in her home who drank and had challenges that were not ideal to a, a home environment. And yet um, the meaning that she assigned to that, it, it, she did not let it define her life. And so I think that if we're blessed to have some stories that are a generation or two removed, that helps us. Yeah. And there's, I guess, a legacy front. So like stuffing certain things doesn't sound particularly healthy too, or there's maybe a whole different kind of legacy we're leaving behind, but actually maybe a guiding principle for the types of questions that we're talking about is, is the study that you've referred to on, on your site. There's a pretty foundational study by an Emory professor, kind of yes or no. What, what, who is that professor? What's the study about? How is that a good guide for developing some of the, the process of, of sharing some of these stories? Yeah, Marshall Duke was the lead researcher on this, and he, they call them the 20 do you know questions. And so they found that children who know the answers to these 20 questions have these better outcomes that we talked about, right? Um, more resilient, higher self-esteem, um, make better choices. And these questions can be found online. I'm sure we could put the link in the show notes. Um, and they are fairly simple things, right? Do you know how your grandparents met? Um, do you know the stories or some of the, the story around when any of your siblings were born? Um, you know, and so they're fairly basic things. And if you don't know where to start in terms of telling family stories, these 20 questions will give you a great jumping off point. But the researchers also share and emphasize that there isn't necessarily something magic about those 20 specific questions. It's that those are indicators. If your children know the answers to these questions, they are indicators that you are having the kinds of conversations at home that lead to these outcomes. So it might be different 20 questions or, you know, an entirely different set, but you're having the, the conversations that build the family narrative. And that's wherein lies the power. My understanding is that it's not necessarily knowing the facts. It's the, it's the process that goes into the relationship of sharing the, the stories in the first place. Precisely. So I learned that from you Thursday, these 20 questions and I (laughs) dinner, I guess Friday or yeah, maybe last night (laughs) asked the kids, I was like, okay, do you know where your siblings were born? Do you know when daddy and I met? (laughs) I went through and they're all like, Oh my gosh, she's like interrogating this. <laughs> That's probably not exactly what I'm supposed to do. But I did, I was like, I want to know, do they know the answers to these? And I think um, by and large, they do. So I felt really proud of that, that we're having those, uh, even unintentionally, I think, having those conversations. For sure. And, you know, as you said, Chad, it's the process, right? If if your kids know the answers to these questions or real ones 
remotely similar to them. It's because you are spending time and having conversations with them about your family and members of your family. And that family narrative is being built every day through those intentional and unintentional conversations. But they only happen when we're intentional about spending time together, right? Yeah, it's about the time mm-hmm. is really what I'm I'm hearing. Um, do the stories have to be true? I love that question. And um, my grandfather used to always say, there's no point in telling a story unless you can improve on it. Yes, I kind of like that. And my husband quotes him all the time. You know, he's not the direct descendant I am, but my <laughs> husband quotes Grandpa Cannon. And um, so, and the researchers even say, like, honestly, it doesn't even matter if the facts are true. The point is it becomes part of your family narrative. So, you mean it doesn't matter how big the fish was that they actually caught? Exactly. It's okay if it's embellished because that's creating this family structure and sense of identity um, that binds your family together, really, right? The stories that bind us, I think, is the one of Bruce Feiler's articles. <laughs> the stories that bind us, that's the point, is these stories bind us together. And at the end of the day, it's the relationships that we're concerned about, not necessarily the facts of the stories we're telling that build that narrative. Well, um, I was going to say, you know, what, speaking of, um, speaking of Bruce Feiler, you know, and, and you know, he's, we, we've been digging him for a few years and one of his big secrets, uh, I guess it's a secret is, uh, to, to developing family connectedness is that gathering around the dinner table. And it is a this simple, but powerful experience, which, you know, we actually, Shelly and I discussed on last week's episode, but you know, can, Hillary, can you help us? Like, what are some approaches to just making that time within our chaotic modern lives, you know, help us make these connections and keep the process alive? How, how do we go about doing it? Every family is unique. And depending on the stage of life, right, we have to reevaluate that. When our kids were younger, we have full control over their schedules and they're not running all over creation. And it's easy, easier at least to make it a priority. Um, and, but as they get older, it takes, I think, a different level of intentionality and commitment and expectation. But if we set that expectation when they're young, those of you who are still in the earlier years of starting out, like start now. Yes, start today. So that there is an expectation that family dinner together is a priority. Now, let's be realistic. It may not be a seven night a week priority. Like, And again, maybe it is at one stage of life, but it's not going to be at every stage of life. Let's just be honest. But maybe there are some non-negotiables, right? Maybe Sunday dinner is a... Happens. It happens. And um, I know for a lot of families that have extended family nearby, like Sunday dinner is an extended family affair. And there is tremendous power in that. You bring the generations together. Um, I'm very, very far away from any family now. So that's, that does not happen at this stage of our lives. But if you have, you know, even if you're an hour away from each other, maybe once a month or twice a month on Sundays, everyone gathers And um, that's a really powerful, wonderful experience. When I was growing up um, in Las Vegas, I mentioned I had a lot of family around. And Las Vegas is a pretty big city, so they weren't next door or anything, but they were close enough that we could get together. And non-negotiably, one Monday night a month. So Monday night was always family night at our house. And beyond just dinner, we would have um, an activity, a family game or outing. And we'd also have a spiritual message and lesson on Monday night. And actually, I continue that in my family, too. But this was an extended one once a month. And so my grandparents were always there. I just have one. My dad just has one sibling. and But his 
sister and their entire family. And boy, did we grow up close to them, even though we there was actually a big age gap between those first cousins and us. But we spent that time together. And do I know the stories of my family just because we spent that time together? Do I tell my kids now every time about the dishes, the, the food that we had? Grandma always made her macaroni and cheese. And in fact, just a couple of days ago, one of my sisters says, who has grandma's macaroni and cheese recipe? I've been craving that. Mm. And I said, well, did you forget that we have the shared Google Drive of family history where I scanned everything? Because here's the <laughs> link again. You already have access. So um, so you can make it. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I've kind of become the yeah. keeper of some of those family records. Well, that's a real, actually, that is a how-to. That's a good takeaway. Right. So anytime um, I come across pictures or recipes or stories or scrapbooks, um, I upload them, and I have a different folder for each like set of grandparents, right? Each branch of the family and have, have given access to all the family members to this. I love that. Cause I'm just sitting here thinking about people listening who maybe don't have like, you don't, you know, the family extended family close right now, close around them, uh, or maybe extended family parents have died. Grandparents have died. Um, and really, you know, preserving memories with those conditions and what that could look like. I love scanning and putting it in a Google drive. Like that's something really practical that I think we can do. Absolutely. And, um, and continual reminders, I think that, um, those are out there. I mean, we have the resources we have these days Mm -hmm. are like nothing we've ever had before. And in fact, um, you know, point you to, we have a lot of blog posts and free content on legacytale.com about how to do this. So, um, there's a a free app from Google called PhotoScan that we highly recommend. It's a scanner for pictures, but it's, the technology is such that say there's a picture on grandma's wall that she, she's not letting you leave the house with, right? It's behind glass. Of course, it'd probably peel away and be destroyed if you tried to take it out anyway. This photo scan app, free, it's totally free. You, it will take away the glare of the glass. So it's just a wonderful tool to scan in family photos. These things, we need to preserve them. Yeah, that's super helpful. Actually, my parents like slowly but surely they'll they'll like give me random photos from like 1972 or 67 or whatever it is and I'm like, "This is amazing. I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with it, you know, and I'm not in the process of digitizing everything." So that is a really actually helpful takeaway. And I will tell you, it is extraordinarily overwhelming when someone passes to try to go through the boxes and boxes of mm. records. I mean, it, it's a labor of love and something that ideally does get done, but it, it it's super overwhelming and can take forever. But if a bit at a time as something surfaces or catches you or, or yeah, you're, you're on a visit back to visit family, grab a few things. You've always got your phone on you, scan in a few and that, that way at least you have something and it begins the process. So we have just uh, begun family counseling back in October and we've talked about it on the podcast before and talk about family legacy, family stories Um, I, uh, one of the things, and I think I may have mentioned this to you, Hillary, uh, I was talking about growing up, how, you know, after a big family meal, all the women would go to the kitchen and they'd start cleaning and, and the men would go and, um, go to the TV room and they'd put on Jeopardy and they'd be talking about business or ideas. And I always wanted to go to that room. (laughs) And our counselor was like, have you told your kids that? And that that's who you are and that's always who you've been you were a little girl who wanted to hang out you know talking ideas you didn't want to go and clean the kitchen 
that's still who I am, actually. Um, and I said, no, I've never. I know, the pots and pans. Uh, yeah, that's still <laughs> on me. And a lot of cooking, right? Okay, anyway. Um, yeah, so that, that you know, these ideas that the, the counseling process has unearthed a lot of things that I'm not entirely conscious of. Um, and I, I don't know what my question is here. I wanted to offer that. I think there's ways that we can um, just become aware of the family stories that, that maybe we aren't even uh, proud of. Like one of the things that came up in counseling was how families disconnect and what we do when there's difficulty and how we deal with that. And that's something that we're talking to our kids about. Like, you know, the family history of of how when, you know, people get disconnected and don't even intend to and how we see that even now today. And that's something that we, you know, it's just kind of playing out in our family, but we're now aware of it and we're talking about it. So the kids are like, oh, like, okay, so this is a part of my family history of this disconnect that I'm feeling today in 2020. Um, so I think there's real power in that that process of uncovering um, and actually, just to add to it, um, I am thinking about, so we're talking about relationships and we're talking about the interconnectedness of our families and, and how we're a part of that. And I think that's one of also the things that we're learning is to get out of the self a little bit and to think about like how, you know, there's, it's a system. The whole family's a system. It's like a skin. And we, when we're impacting one person or another, we're impacting the whole system um, you know, I, but, but ultimately the finger sort of is supposed to be turned back onto ourselves. What are we doing? What can we be doing to, uh, you know, make the environment healthier? I don't know. Is that a question? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is a discussion. Uh, what do you want to say? Well, just as you were, as you were both talking, I mean, the key there is, being aware of it, right? Yeah. Sometimes we just, yeah. once we're aware that, oh, this is happening in the family that they're disconnecting, as you were talking about, Shelly, um, that's the first step, right, is being aware mm -hmm. of it. We can't even address it if we're not aware of it, we don't recognize it, and we don't articulate it. Right? There's a lot of power in articulating anything that's happening. And I think just generationally, more and more, we're coming to recognize that, oh, we do need to be aware and articulate and sort of own some of these things that are happening. I mean, mm -hmm. growing up, that was not a concept that you, uh, from in my family anyway. Right. Most um, families. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's just part of a, a coming of age to some degree that happened or that is happening yeah. now. And being aware of it allows us to, like I said, like own it and go, well, okay. And even for me personally, I'm disconnecting right now. Why, why is that? Why do I feel the need to do that? Um, I know it's not healthy, so I need to find a place to get back to where mm -hmm. I'm not. Mm -hmm. But why am I? And and it made me think of something I hadn't thought of for a while. Shelly and Chad was, um, I guess it was about two years ago. So not too long after my family had moved all the way across the country and, and left behind our family and um, my extended family. We, I had been wanting to celebrate my parents' 45th wedding anniversary and you know, long story short of herding cats of a big family, it ended up being um, that my parents and siblings, there are seven of us, I'm number two of seven children, and my parents and, and seven siblings gathered in Arizona for a long weekend. 
and it, you know, it was wonderful to be together. Um, but one of the things I realized there, and it, it was beautiful, we were really intentional during that. And usually there's kids around, there's a zillion grandkids running around, right? And it's wonderful, we have so much fun, but we're not as super intentional about connecting at a more meaningful emotional level. And um, so with just adults, you know, all grown children, no spouses were there, which the spouses, some of them took issue with that. And, you know, maybe next time they should have been, but it, they weren't. And so it was a different kind of experience. We'd never done that before. And um, one of the things I've realized in that was that I had, I had been pulling back and disconnecting. And part of it was driven by this, we had this major life upheaval of moving. I mean, probably a lot of it was driven by that, right? This major plans change that were not, had not been in our life plan and we left, and there was some some baggage around that. And some, why did you have to move so far away? I mean, couldn't you have moved closer? And and mm-hmm. from all of us, there was some baggage around that. And mm-hmm. so I finally, um, as we were you know connecting emotionally, and there were a lot of tender feelings. I finally had to say, you know what? I think I realized that I'm disconnected. I'm not as close to you all as I used to be, and I and I want to be, but I think I've got so I'm so overwhelmed with dealing with some of what I'm dealing with right now that I just don't have the emotional bandwidth. And to even just recognize that, mm-hmm. I think kind of made us all go, we kind of took a step back and went, oh. Were you able to say that to them? I did, wow. I did say that. And that's not not terribly in character for me. Yeah. Um, but I think it was so overwhelmingly true that I couldn't not say couldn't deny it. it. I couldn't. And and I I have most of my life been very close to my siblings and and, I had to just say, I just, I just can't, I've got stuff I'm dealing with. I don't have emotional bandwidth was the term that described it for me. I just can't. And, and recognizing it and owning it helped me then go, okay, but that's not where I want to be. And so how can I get back Mm. on track? And so, you know, working through that in his life. So what do they say? It's after any major life transition, it's at least a five year process, mm-hmm. right? And to restabilize. Right. I'm yeah. only two and a half years into it. Yeah. So you got more time. <laughs> right. But, but I'm getting a little more stable a bit mm-hmm. by bit over time. And so, um, now I can work toward being more intentional about kind of rebuilding those relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is where our worlds intersect a little bit. Uh, the storytelling ideas and the the research that you've done and my um, passion for helping people excavate kind of their, their personal story and how it's passed down from all these unconscious patterns in their family and then the family's family and how um, so often, like we were just saying, the parents, the adults in the family are not even aware. And so the kids, of course, are not. I mean, they kind of get subconsciously passed down. So if you're a family that just doesn't talk about emotional stuff, then that's just part of your legacy. Then your kids are going to be recipients of that. Right. And and how do we kind of get aware of that and get conscious of it so that we can break patterns and pass down different standards and expectations and ideas and values? Right. And we have the added dynamic of, in any family, of, um, you know, bringing a husband and wife together who have had vastly different experiences, right? I mean, I mean that relationship alone has to manage, you know, becoming one from two completely different sets of experiences growing up. And then what is it, are we passing, you know, are we passing down um, sort of 
dad's legacy from childhood or mom's or a combination of this and how intentional are we about crafting that, right? Um, you know, my family and growing up, we intentionally did a lot of family vacation. They were not expensive family vacations. It was usually camping and fishing and whatnot, but we, we were intentional about that time together, right? Other families are not necessarily. And so what, how do we merge different experiences, different needs, different desires? And, um, part of what I like to do for that is actually have a family strategic planning retreat. Tell us how that goes. Yeah. So right in business, we do strategic planning and sometimes we'll have a retreat to do the strategic planning. And so, uh, a number of years ago I decided, and I had led those a couple of times and I thought our family could really benefit from this, right? We're really trying to be more intentional as a family. Let's actually go through the process to see what that looks like. And so, um, our kids were seven and 10 at the time that we did this. The first, the first one, and I, we didn't actually go away um, for the retreat, but I called it a retreat anyway. And I said we're clearing our calendars and we're having a retreat at home. And I, I made, um, made and bought special foods that like I normally wouldn't, you know, like some of the, you know, fun foods that mom does not buy. Fun foods, right? But I bought, and and I had my flip charts and my markers and my post its and set things up. And I, you know, planned in advance with my husband. Okay, what are the kinds of, you know, we need to come up with a family vision and mission and then some big goals around that. And, um, it, you know, working with kids and doing that was fascinating. And actually I have, I have tools and a template and agenda and all that stuff, um, at legacytale.com. If you, how, if how many times, how many times have you done it now? And what was it like doing it as follow-ups? So, um, just twice that we've done it. And the first time I will tell you, it was fascinating. Our life decisions really ended up being shaped by that. So one of the things that came out of that session was the importance of family travel as an educational tool for our family. And so um, we actually ended up not having jobs that tied us down for a while and homeschooling and traveling extensively. And so we spent time as a family, um, a lot of different places in the U.S. as well as in Europe and, you know, built our education into that. And it was I didn't, looking back, I mean, these major life changes were so largely driven by the strategic planning session that it's kind of fascinating. And so then more recently I said, wow, you guys, we like kind of checked everything off from this strategic planning that we did. And so it's time to do a new one. And, you know, we had this, this vision then, and I don't know that it's changed completely, but some of our priorities have shifted a little bit, right? Our life was totally different. Um, we were back in Nevada and the, it, it was just a different life. And so how do things look right now? And let's look at it again. And so now we're just um, actually recently finished up the second one and trying to look ahead. Wow. I, it, it helps. I, I think that we, that's a big takeaway. I think we should all do, do that because there's just so many breaks and they can come at you and you're just reacting uh, at the last minute. That sounds like a powerful practice. Uh, you know, well, we're always learning a big self and we're always trying to, to feed our minds, whether it's um, our listeners listening to this podcast or, um, of course, um, what's what we're reading, what we're taking in. Is is there a book that's um, impacting you right now or, or something that you're you're learning, Hillary? You know, one that impacted me really recently, especially as we were preparing for um, our What's Your Story session the other night, Shelley, was um, 
The Secret Life of Bees, which is fiction. I know you probably get a lot of nonfiction on here. And I had read it years before and enjoyed it. But my son was actually reading it for school, and I like to um, read books along with my kids to have meaningful discussions. Um, books are an important priority in our house. And so I reread it again, and the power of, of story was so significant in that. And the idea of um, having an, a validating and an intimate forum to share your story and how that not only helps you bear sorrow, but transform it. And we talked a little bit about this the other night. And that's, you know, that idea was solidified in me through this secret life of bees that we all go through hard times in our lives. And this is, this is fiction, but it, it could be true and is true, right? These, these challenging experiences. Um, but when we try to bear these experiences alone, um, it, it's harder, number one, but number two, we're not able to take advantage of the learning experiences as well for ourselves and for others. So um, as we have that accepting an intimate forum to share our stories and find meaning in them, then not only can we share the bearing of that sorrow, but we can transform it into something beautiful for ourselves and others. I love that. I love that. And I can tell you are an intentional mom. Like that just exudes from Thank you. you. Like the, yeah, like I, you know, and, and not getting it perfect all the time, right? None of us do, but that it's at the forefront, you know, like really thinking about how you connect with your kids and create these conversations. I love that. Uh, the next question I want to, we kind of do a wrap up with people and ask these same few questions. What is your morning routine look like? How do you get going and get focused in your day? So my morning routine starts much earlier than I would like it to mm -hmm. probably for most of us. Mm -hmm. Right. <clears throat> yes. Um, but I'm, I'm the first one up and I, I get up very early and I start with prayer and I try to drop to my knees because otherwise I'll fall back asleep. <laughs> and, <laughs> I love it. Um, but I try to get on my knees and, and start with prayer and start the day by talking to God. And, um, and then I follow that up by reading scriptures and, um, I've sometimes reversed that process, but I like to actually ask God to help me see in the scriptures that day what it is that I can learn um, and that, you know, he can teach me all truth, I know, and part of that comes through my um, study. And so I pray and I, I ask every day for God to help me recognize how I can be of service to those around me and what help me to recognize an opportunity to bless someone. And um, so those are some things that I try every morning and then... Um, then I get the kids up and, and going. And then a workout before before moving on with my day is really, really key for my, I think, mental health, even more than physical health. So that is a non-negotiable for me to get my workout in. I know it's the mind-body connection. I it's It's the mind thing from working out that makes me feel so much better. Um, so that's part of your routine. Wow, that's very disciplined. <laughs> but you seem like it. You're a you're a strategic uh, planner with your family, um, and I think you're already the the answer of this last question is unfolding here. But you know, we we do like what's what does becoming a big self mean to you? What does big self mean to you? Big self to me means fulfilling that destiny that God has in store for me, and um, you know, I believe that part of that is is serving the world. And it's always been an evolving conversation and figuring out exactly what that looks like or how I can bless others, hopefully starting with my own family, right? Not neglecting them to look outside of that, but starting with my own family, how can I bless 
them and lift them, right? I, I want to I want to be a lifter, and that's a goal that I work on all the time and need help with. Um, but but yeah, trying to grow into I've, I encourage women to grow into your des- destiny. We have so so much to offer, and when we're intentional about recognizing it and blessing others that light just makes the world a better place. Yeah. And I think that was a big takeaway for women from our event. This, this, you know, permission, giving themselves permission to lean into their story and let their light shine from it. Um, And speaking of, we are in the works of figuring out next steps from our What's Your Story event. So I wanted to encourage listeners to, be on the lookout for that, watch out for that. Um, did you want to say anything specific about that? Just that we were so thrilled to have so many here and what a joy it is for me to work with Shelly and Scotty. And we're really excited to figure out what's next and let you know. You are, and are you celebrating your, your, uh, the website? You want to tell everybody like where to go and how to get in touch with you? Sure. So legacytale.com is where you can find us. And um, that will probably be evolving. It's been a business that we started a few years ago and was more about uh, recording stories. And there's a lot of great content and about what we've discussed on there. Um, and it, my focus now is on you know just helping women be uplifted and recognize their stories and certainly recording them as part of that. But I think even more fundamentally being intentional about recognizing what your stories are and, and sharing them. And so it'll probably be evolving in terms of um, what the next steps are related to our work together. Fantastic. Thanks so much for being on, Hillary. It's been great to have you. It was absolutely my pleasure. Yes. I just want to say thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for being you and for being uh, amazing at this work you're doing and being very like, just so thoughtful about it and coming at it with just such heart. Um, and I know that just from even a sliver of what happened a couple nights ago, that this impact is going to be huge and significant for women. So I'm, I'm excited to see what you end up doing um, and how I can be a small part of that as we, as we build this community. Well, you're a huge part of it, Shelly, and thank you. And as you know, um, you're helping my dreams come true being a part of this. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, join in the community at the Big Self Society. You can also find us at big underscore self on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. What show made an impact on your thinking, your habits, your decision making, or anything else? Anyone you'd like us to reach out to and have on the show, let us know.